International Her Story Day. This is the way the ladies first. Yes, my sisters out there, we so glad for all of her chilling and thing like that. Honey, know who this year be this year, the Queen Quet Head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. I'm so glad for had this opportunity to celebrate one more again who we be and celebrate with all the sisters out yonder, you see. So we are overjoyed for this year. Yet another International Woman Day. Yes, yeah, so ladies, it is that the women is being a woman is great, you see. So glad that you're taking this time to take this lead journey. And you know what we going to do? We going to do them like we always as you come true. We going to take a little bit of time to pay tribute to the foremothers of all of who we be, right here in this your land of the Gullah Geechee. Let me take a moment of silence for Big Daddy Mama and all the rest of the people who are going on into the realm of the ancestors, and we will give thanks for all the strong women. Well, raise up all the strong women with the other day. So let me take a moment of silence and get underway. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. Yep, there's going to be some changes right here, like you just heard him say, because we are now into a new day. This theme for International Women's Day is very powerful this year because it is choose to challenge, choose to challenge. Now, I'm Queen Quet. I am the chiefess and head of state for the Gullah Geechee Nation. So, of course, I'm a woman that knows all about choosing to challenge, challenge the status quo, challenge anyone saying, well, how is it that a black woman can be a queen? Why is it that y'all think queens only are in England? I have no idea other than miseducation. Why is it that we spend more time focused on princesses than we do on queens. That's a subject for another night. But why don't we focus on just in either case getting our crowns right? So tonight I wanted to take some time. I thought it not robbery even though I had to get in here late from being at a place that I challenged for many, many years that wasn't telling the full story in terms of the legacy and the history of even chattel enslavement. And this location is a plantation. So how is it that you don't mention African people at a plantation? But when I would challenge this 20-some years ago, 
I was given silence or I was given a cut eye. Or then the word would get back down the creek to me that, you know, oh, I'm the rabble rouser. I'm the person that comes in and challenges what they're doing. Again, challenging that narrative and who controls that narrative, challenging the status quo, saying it's inappropriate. It always has been inappropriate. It's inaccurate. Storytelling is fake. It's fraudulent. See, and people would think that, you know, to go ahead and say it's racist, really got folks' panties in a bunch, got folks' jowls in a bunch, got people's faces, necks tight, you know, and all of that. And so I've earned a reputation that precedes me wherever I go. And it's interesting because that reputation always, though, is followed with, well, you might not like her, but you need to respect her because she's going to stand for what she believes in. She stands firm on it. Well, I think that any ladies who wanted to break glass ceilings had to learn very quickly how to cover yourself, almost in Teflon, so that when that glass started falling, you wouldn't be killed by it. You see? Because glass is, when it comes down in shards, you don't know where that's going to land. You don't know what it's going to hit. You don't know what it's going to cut. You don't know if you'll survive that. So I know there are ladies listening that you know what I'm talking about. You feel free. Email me to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O-A-O-L.com. And I want to salute the brothers out there who at times saw us pounding with a fist or trying to get on the ladder and hit your head on that glass ceiling, and what they did was didn't say nothing except they went, got a sledgehammer, came back, asked you step out the way for a minute, and you move, and they bust the hole and let you go ahead and finish going on through there. There are some brothers who've done that. They're rare. They're few because especially in Western societies, they've been taught that, Women are to stay at home and just have kids, as opposed to women have knowledge and intellect and intuition that if you couple it with your abilities, could take you past that glass ceiling. There is no limit, not even the sky. But so when we talk about a theme like choose to challenge, I was stunned myself when I saw that that was what we're celebrating around the world today. And so let's start you off like I usually do because some people seem to be surprised today that today was International Women's Day, and some women seem like they had never heard of it until today because now that all around the world women are taking stands, they're taking leads, they are running governments, they are not just running organizations for the churn for other women. We're doing all that in addition to going ahead and choosing to challenge some other things that people said we couldn't do, said that that's not ladies' work, that kind of stuff. So to it end, and why I've been celebrating this day for years now is because I really learned about it because of my work in the international arena at the United Nations. So don't feel bad. If this year is the first time you're hearing about it just because it's all over the radio stations, 
because you may not have known about it because it was never promoted until now. And it's because we have more women in media now that are ensuring that it gets promoted. So I just want to give you a little background, a little history, like I like to do on this station every year when we come down to Women's Earth Story Month and International Women's Day that's in the midst of it. So it's on March the 8th. But National Women's Day in the United States is said to have started, or they even say purported to have started as a Women's Day observance on February the 28th in 1909 in New York. And it was actually organized by the Socialist Party of America. All right? There was an activist in it named Teresa Michael, and she was the one that they say actually got the women to start to protest. These were garment workers. So if you all are familiar with the garment district in New York, which clothes go all over the world from the garment district in New York, that they said, well, it was because there was some garment worker strike and that they say that this is what really started this off. But then folks say, well, they don't believe that. There's also statements out there that say, well, they don't think that's really what led to this celebration. Okay? So they have a whole bunch of different stories that float around about when it really started, why it really started. But then in 1911, on March the 19th, there was the first International Women's Day where they said over a million people in Austria, Denmark, Germany, and Switzerland got together. And here it was that they started commemorating this particular day. They didn't have a set date for it at that time, so sometimes it would be in February, sometimes it would be in March. Over the years, it evolved to where they decided that they would stick to March the 8th. And that was because the initial time that they went on celebrated, that was a Sunday. So that made sense, right, that, you know, you had more free time, and things like that, on a lot of times on Sunday. So they decided to stick with that. So ever since we've had this March 8th date, well, the United Nations that I mentioned to you is my way of knowing about the celebration, started celebrating International Women's Day in 1975 because that was the year that they proclaimed that there would be the International Year of Women or International Women's Year. So in 1977, the United United Nations General Assembly invited the member states to actually proclaim March 8th as an official U.N. holiday for women's rights and world peace. So now we come to this year, choose to challenge, because I have met some of the most power-filled and I meant that intentionally, women that walked the earth, engaged at one arena or another that connected to the United Nations, fighting with all their might, with all their intellect, with all their passion for various causes, not just for women, but for human rights in general, 
they choose to challenge the standards that people have made for us as women to say that there's some classification of what we have an ability to do and there's a classification for what we don't have the ability to do. Every woman ain't cut the same. Every woman ain't built the same. So we have that which God put into each of us to do. And mind you, ladies, do what God put into you to do. Don't look over there at what somebody else is doing and then figure, oh, duplicating that is what you were called to do. Nah. <laughs> okay, find your mission and do it to the utmost and then join with other women of power, other men that want to support what you're doing and see how far you can go and how sustained it will be. Because when you choose to challenge something that is systemic like racism, huh, believe me, you better be ready to sustain that fight because folks don't just want to give up their spot that they've been holding and that they've been writing the stories about that make them always look victorious and in the lead. They're the ones who went on and blew the glass that they put up there as a ceiling. Who are you to want to come crash through it? They made it. They wanted to keep a lid on you. Well, the glass is broke, lids off, all kind of stuff going on once again. The women, the Oman Sure enough, they choose the challenge. Our Wisdom Circle Council of Elders Women, our Assembly of Representatives Women for the Gullah Geechee Nation, choose to challenge each and everything that people have said we cannot have as black women, as people like Crack Teeth, like this shit, and things like that, in you rural area, and things like that, that plenty cools. That even if we talk the way we talk, we can't, you can't do that. Who said I can't? Who said that I can't be a leader because I'm from a rural area on the coast? Who said that because my culture and my language and everything is not yours and it's not from Europe that has no value? So we choose to challenge those notions. We choose to challenge the notion that black women can't run successful businesses and own land independent of being married. We have already broke them glass ceilings and already picked up all the shards, put them back in the heat, and somebody blew them into a balloon of celebration. We choose to challenge. Now, we didn't just, come into challenging things just just dry long so as we say. There's always a reason for it. There was always something that caused the motivation for someone to make a move. And tonight I want to just share a little bit with you from three women who are all native Gullah Geechee, two from Charleston, South Carolina, one from Savannah, Georgia, that were all leaders in the civil rights movement. And then the civil rights movement was to ultimately lead to the human rights movement. But we know what happened with the ones who are considered now the iconic leaders that became martyrs. But more often than not, the women who were part of this, the ladies of SNCC, if you go to gullahgeechee.tv, gullahgeechee.tv, subscribe for free, but type in Gullah Geechee and 
SNCC, S-N-C-C, and you'll see an excellent episode talking to some of our women of SNCC that were natives to Gullah Geechee Nation and other parts of the South. But tonight I want to talk about first who one that we call Mama Seppi, who was born in 1898. 1898, yes, before the turn of the century, not long after enslavement. In fact, her father had been enslaved. Septima Poinsett Clark was born in Charleston, South Carolina on May 3rd, 1898. She was the second of eight children that her parents had. She did have the opportunity because at that time, a number of schools, quote-unquote Negro schoolhouses and the like, were being built and being financed by those who had been, you know, philanthropists and missionaries and people who felt that something should be done for the, quote-unquote, Negro children. All right? So she had an opportunity to actually go to public school. Then she worked so that she could go from the public school to a private school, which was Avery Normal Institute. Avery Research Center, which is part of the College of Charleston now, was originally Avery Normal Institute. So when she finished with her education, she went on to be a teacher. She ended up instructing in and out of school. Okay, so she taught on John's Island here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. Now, when there was this move to now make sure that black folks could vote, and they started turning our people back because they claimed, well, if you couldn't read, you couldn't vote, and half the people who were saying that to folks couldn't read themselves, but they said it and they turned people away from being able to register to vote, to participate in voting. That's why even now it's so critical for you to encourage literacy in your household. Don't have a wait till your kids go to school. Do you have a library in the house? It's important for you to read books for your children to become readers. That few hours at school ain't going to do nothing if they come home and only play video games or watch YouTube videos or get on social media and make videos of their own. Learn how to read. So she made sure that when they started saying that, she started teaching more and more of the grown folks how to make sure they could read and what they would need to read. She became a part of the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And when the folks found out at the city (laughs) that that's what she was doing, that's what she was working, because at that time, not like now, the NAACP was considered a radical group. She couldn't get no more teaching jobs. That was okay with her, too. She continued to stay in the NAACP. She said, well, she just won't work in so-called public uh, places. So she got a job teaching at the Tennessee Highlander Folk School because that folk school And Tennessee was all about integration and civil rights movement. So she went ahead, and she'd been there before at workshops and other things. And so she got engaged, and then they went on and they hired her. Then she started directing the Highlander Citizenship School program. The school helped 
to folks, everybody in the community, didn't matter what age, to know basic literacy and math skills. And so that this way they could go ahead, they could go down there. If they tried to give them a literacy test, my folks could pass it, all because of Mama Seppi. You see? See, in 1961, she ended up joining SELC, which is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, because they took over that education project. And there were over 800 citizenship schools created under her leadership. Now, here it is that her work, her gift was educating people, inspiring people to have more than what they had. And so no doubt someone else who was from Charleston had to have been inspired by her. And I had the blessed opportunity to meet who is now, just like Mama Seppi, one of our sacred ancestors of the Gullah Geechee Nation, Miss Mary Moutry. I got to meet her because when Dr. Najma Thomas here in the Gullah Geechee Nation and I were given the Living Legend Award by the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, those are the founders of Black History Month, they also gave one to her. I don't know if they realized that in, with that inaugural award that they were presenting three different Native Gullah Geechee women with that inaugural award. But Mary Moultrie was born in 1943 in Charleston, South Carolina. And y'all Burke folks, if y'all listening, she went to Burke. I know y'all know. I know y'all hooping and hollering right now. Um, and she attended Burke High School. After she graduated, she moved to New York to work as a nurse's aide at Goldwater Memorial Hospital, and she worked there for seven years. I want you to actually hear her talk about what happened when she returned to Charleston after those seven years in New York. But I graduated from high school in 1960. I left Charleston for a few years, lived in New York. I returned in 67 and got the job at the um, Medical University Hospital, and that's when I became kind of active. Um, I had worked in, at a hospital in New York, and when I got back here, I found that things were completely different because that was my first time working out really in the public sector because I worked at Ms. Lisa Dinkins Restaurant where we all were, you know, uh, equal. Mm-hmm. I worked in New York, and it was a big difference, although I worked with all nationality of people. When I came back to Charleston, it was a big difference. Uh, and then, a few months after being at the Medical University Hospital, as um, when the nurses got fired, and that's when I became, you know, active. I went to... Um, Mr. Saunders and told him what had happened at the hospital. These five people had been fired. And the rest is history. But I- now, it's interesting that she said that, that the rest is history. Because, unfortunately, attending school in South Carolina, they don't teach us this history. They don't teach us her story. They don't teach us our story. There are a lot of misleading, misinformed people now just grabbing random stuff 
that's for entertainment off the Internet, using it in classes and things like that. When these folks are still, many of the people who are involved and engaged in these things are alive at the time, were healthy and could go around and speak, they didn't pull them in because they didn't know these things happened. And many people were not aware of Mary Moutry and her being a living legend. God bless the dead. Thank you for the work you did. But here it is that you heard her say when she worked for Mr. Esau Jenkins, God bless the dead, he was on John's Island also, business owner. If you've gone to the National Museum of African American History and Culture, the side of his bus is in there. Again, go to gullahgeechee.tv, G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E.tv, and look up Gullah Geechee at, and then do the abbreviation for National Museum of African American History and Culture. And you will find that I pointed out all the different Gullah Geechee elements that are in that National Museum that are not denoted as Gullah Geechee. They're blended in. So, again, if that continues to happen and the full story is not told about where these things originated from, who will know in the future? So, once again, it's a blessing to have technology and have the recordings to have them speak their own story. So when she talked about Mr. Esau Jenkins, that bus was the one on which Mama Seppi, Mama, Mama Seppi taught on that bus. And Mr. Esau Jenkins would drive people to work in downtown Charleston from Johns Island and from other places. They would be on the bus doing their lessons. So together, now Mr. Bill Saunders, who I love dearly, who has been an activist who always tells me, Queen, I fought against integration because I knew what it would do. And he said he suffered because our own people didn't want to hear that, didn't believe in what he was saying. Well, that's who Mary Moutry said she went to to discuss what had happened when the women the nurses got fired. So now I want you to hear a piece from the conversation where Mary Moutry and Bill Saunders discussed segregation in the hospitals and the challenges that happened during the Charleston hospital worker strike. When the hospital was segregated, did you perform different duties than like a white nurse's aide? Did you work with white patients or could you only work with uh, During that time, we had very few white nurses aides. But um, the few that were there didn't get the heavy workloads that we got. And um, it was my understanding that they were paid differently. Um, nothing I could prove, you know, but um, I was told that they were making more than the dollar thirty an hour that we were making. And um, they certainly didn't work as hard as we did. So it was a difference. Um, when we came out on strike, we had two nursing assistants that had been up and down with us all the time we were organizing. And um, they were given jobs at the VA hospital that they didn't apply for just to get them out of our, you know, group. Did you all feel like your lives were threatened with what you were doing? Oh, we, were, we didn't feel we were threatened, you know. Wow. Phone calls, letters, you know. But um, I guess I was crazy at that time because it didn't face me. I um, 
knew what I had to do, and I just did it. Uh, I know in the article you talked about um, how some of the Charleston blacks didn't really support um, the strike. And I don't know, um, you, you, one of the quotes like Dr. Tomlinson or something. Some is there a reason why these people didn't support the strike? Well, at at first, a lot of the blacks were reluctant hmm. about what we were doing. Some of them thought that it was unnecessary. That we didn't need to be out on strike, and the ones who could go back to work should go back to work, and those of us who they refused to take back should get jobs elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But um, as we got support from different places and people started getting on board, we basically got everybody on, on our side after they saw exactly what was going on and the fact that we weren't giving up. And um, we were predominantly women with lots of children. We had some women out there that had about ten children, and it was somebody's family, somebody's wife, you know. They were in somebody's church, so they got on board like that. And Mr. Sons, I didn't say we were all women now. No, but y'all go there sometimes. I didn't go there. We have a real divide on who they were, and it got to... Because that's, again, how people divide you. The hospital workers was about hospital workers. Mm-hmm. It was not about women. It was not about men. Mm-hmm. It was about the workers. But at some point, somebody just started writing. These, all of these women got together and did all of these good stuff. And that was not, that was not the truth. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of um, the orderlies and cleanup folk and everybody. Was, all of these folk was involved. But it, it, the division came, came later on. So, yeah, so see, that's what I always appreciate about Mr. Saunders because he set the record straight. And again, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, that's why I said what I said earlier. There are those brothers that if there's a glass ceiling, sometimes they tell you just step aside and they bring the sledgehammer and they bust through the ceiling. Mr. Saunders was one of those folks. I worked shoulder to shoulder with him on the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor Commission. And I can say of everybody there, he was a man. Spoke up, stood up spoke out loud, didn't just stand there, tolerate foolishness, and he would speak up, and I appreciated him and have the utmost respect for him, as I do for the late Mary Moutry, because had she not, that she had this power within to go ahead and step forth, as you heard, her local community was a day looking like, what y'all doing? Why are you doing that? We still have that issue now. We found many, many times, especially going into the city of Charleston, there is still this element of we're not supposed to be doing that, or why are you doing that? How's that going to happen? I'll never forget that there was one Dr. Martin Luther King Day, and Mr. Saunders owned WPAL radio. So anytime I was coming and going from Charleston, I would listen to WPAL because the closer I got to my county, sometimes it would fade out or, you know, keep getting crossed up with another station so I could hear it clearly once I reached certain areas and I would listen all the way up and sometime I might make it all the way back home and hear the majority of the station all the way but that was on a nice clear day you know and this particular time the Wisdom Circle Council of Elders and I had just finished some things in Charleston 
when I got in the car and I turned on the radio and it was on to WPAL, and here it was that Mr. Abraham Jenkins and there was uh, David Mack and they there was someone else also on there that day, and they were discussing all the different things that had gone on during the Civil Rights Movement and how they would travel with their guns on the seat coming and going from meetings because so many people had been killed, people got run off the road, you know, just all kinds of things that would happen, you know, especially during that time frame where people would easily try to come upon you, lynch you if they saw you by yourself and that kind of thing. And so I listened, I listened, and this was call-in radio back then, like how my show is still, where folks could call in and you could comment on what was going on. And I remember going ahead, and I couldn't wait when they finally gave out the phone number. I'm trying to go ahead and hurry up and get this early cell phone. So I'm trying to get this phone and, and hope I got a signal to, to call in. And when I got through, and I said, well, how are the children doing things like that? And they said, hold on, is that the queen? And I said, yes, sirs, how are y'all? They said, oh, my goodness, oh, queen, so glad to hear from you. I said, look, y'all. I just called in the snows and said, thank you. And I said, I want to thank you all for all that you did for all of us and for your bravery. They said, hold it, hold it now, hold it, hold it. We wasn't brave. You're the one who brave. And they said, tell you right now, when you stepped out here, tell me, you going to do this stuff for Gullah Geechee? And you start going around the world and then declare the nation? We was like, oh, my God. We don't know what she's doing. This, oh, this ain't going to be good. And they said, and look what has happened because of that. So they said, no, you thanking us, we thank you. You're the one who is brave because we know what that takes. And I was stunned by their response. I ain't stunned often, but I was surely stunned by that reaction and that commentary from that group of older men who had this to say. And so it was interesting to hear their perspectives, just like to be able to have these oral histories. And that person who you heard interviewing them was actually Carrie Taylor from the Citadel. They had an oral history program where they got to interview different people, especially when it was the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act. There was a lot of different meetings and interviews done and things like that to gather these voices, to gather the stories while these activists still lived and in their right minds and healthy and could share it and could still remember all these details. So it's really important that even now, if you have your mom, your grandma, and they participated in some things, or you think they're old enough that they know about what it was like to have to fight their way into certain things, you should ask them, how did they get those jobs they got? What kind of jobs did they have? How did they get paid? Did, did they feel they got paid? The same thing that, like here, Mary Mutri is mentioning, if there was an Anglo woman versus a black woman, did they get the same thing? We all pretty much should know the answer is no, because the answer still is no, unfortunately, in most arenas. But here it is that they had to challenge that, you see? 
had to challenge it. And as you heard Mary Mutra say, yeah, the, and the girl said, did y'all feel threatened? And they were like, feel threatened? We were threatened. You see? And she said, but I must have been crazy back then. She wasn't crazy. She had all her sense. But she did what? She chose to challenge. And because she did, the black folks that work at MUSC, the Medical University of South Carolina, where there's a marker now dedicated to that Charleston Hospital worker strike, they can thank her. They can thank Mr. Saunders. They can thank those who didn't listen to the naysayers that said, oh, y'all ain't got no business out there in the street and stuff, and especially y'all women, y'all should stay home with your churn and all that kind of grumbling and mumblings that I've been told by folks that were going on at that time. So here it is. That again, why isn't this taught? This in U.S. history, much less in South Carolina's history classes. While these folks yet lived, they never brought them in to talk to us. They never printed anything about them in the books that were assigned by the school districts. And even now, while I'm living, you have a whole cadre of people that want to put information in the schools about Gullah Geechee without discussing human rights but relegating us to rice, indigo, cotton, sweet grass baskets. There's no challenge in that because you're talking about things that are inanimate objects there's no fear of. But there's fear of black people speaking up, standing up, even at this moment where some are hollering Black Lives Matter. It matters to a point until somebody else feels offended then we got another problem. So we got to realize that people literally had and still have their lives on the line when we're talking about choosing to challenge, especially with women, when there's all kinds of things out here that challenge our very beings. And so they're under that pressure. Every moment folks can't just stay strong and stand up. But I'm so thankful for who is considered the matriarch of the voters' rights movement, who, again, never learned anything about her around here, Dr. Amelia Boynton Robinson. She has a quote that said, Get off my shoulders. The foundation has been laid. Now it's time for you to build on it. Now is your time. Get to work. And that's what they gave their lives for, so that we would get to work. And she was born in 1905 and lived to 2015. Can you imagine how much work she did and how much she saw in 100 years, 110 years? Can you imagine that? The only reason I can is because I had a cousin that lived to be 104 years old and was still in her right mind. Her mother had also lived to be that age. And I had opportunities to interview her and talk to her about what she'd seen and what work she did and how to keep on holding on to God's unchanging hand. So to learn very late now in my life about Amelia Isadora Boynton Robinson, born August the 18th, in 1905 in Savannah, Georgia, right here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. I was out and done. 
Now, again, large families back then. She was the seventh child out of ten children. Now, her father used to build buildings. He was a building contractor. Her mother was a dressmaker, a realtor, and civil rights activist. Okay? So, no wonder she was inspired to do what she did, to do the work that she did. And so, in 1927, she graduated from Tuskegee Institute. So a lot of times you don't hear her name here in the Gullah Geechee Nation unless you were talking to someone who really was involved in the civil rights movement and in the voters' rights aspect of that movement. Because once she went to the what we call the Deep South, she ended up staying there. And she definitely was, as you all have heard me say on this show before, a credit to our race. Now, she has been seen on the Internet, and you've probably seen also in various documentaries, her when she was, she's, there's a picture of her right at, the, at Bloody Sunday in Selma, and where she looks like she's just passed out, okay, sure, was of a 17-year-old student who was trying to aid who is now a sacred ancestor, Miss Boynton, all right? They actually thought that she died because of what happened on that bridge that I don't know if it's already passed. I have to double-check, but they are going to. The plan is to rename it for now the late John Lewis. I've crossed that bridge. I've gone from Selma to Montgomery, and I crossed that bridge years after Bloody Sunday, and the weight that's on that bridge is beyond belief, the spiritual weight on that place. So when I see the picture of her, I can understand why folks thought that she just collapsed and was done, but she wasn't. She wasn't done then. (laughs) She wasn't done till God called her home. She was the co-founder of the Voting Rights Institute and Museum. She was the founder of an annual jubilee that commemorated Bloody Sunday in Selma. She got her honorary doctorate at the National Conference of Black Lawyers by the Community College of Law and International Diplomacy in Chicago on May 19th in 1996, all that time later. Someone finally decided to honor her legacy, her work, the life's blood that she gave said we could vote as black people, black women especially, that we could vote, that we could know that you don't have to be relegated to staying at home. You can get your education, take that education back to the community, and fight, choose to challenge the status quo, choose to stand up even when sometimes you feel faint and you have to lay down for a minute 
let God give you the strength to stand up again, walk again, march again, fight again, break some more of those shards of glass because you're going to open up a new passageway for others to get through. And so I didn't want Women's Her Story Month and especially not International Women's Day to go by without honoring the legacy of women here in the Gullah Geechee Nation who stood up and who are standing up. I want to honor Elder Colleytown, Elder Lisa Wineglass Smalls, Representative Anita Collins, Representative Glenda Simmons Jenkins in particular, because they've been consistent. They stood up all this time. And the late Ernestine Tobias Felder, the late beach lady, Marvin Vetch, left here standing, fighting for our community, for our culture, for our land, for our rights, our human right to self-determination, which is what we've stood on and are still standing on. Right. We have been putting the bricks that have the blood, sweat, and the tears of our ancestors in them onto the foundation because God gave us the land on which to stand. To choose to challenge others who said we didn't have a right to this land and need to be taken back from us. To choose to stand, to have voting privileges, use them, and create our own voting blocks to get our own representation, and more of that has to happen. To say that, yes, we're going to take our ability for literacy and our ability to read and to write, tell our own story, speak it, throw them down like this shit, we were not doing like that, or put it down in this language that was forced upon us but is now the world's language to speak in so that we can go in any arena and challenge what does not suit us, what does not uphold our rights. And so here it is that I salute not only the Gullah Geechee Oman and things like that, who don't work together, Chilla, the whole Phoenician. Say, chillin', 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 we fight us too. Salute all the freedom fighters out there. But I also want to salute the international arena of women, especially indigenous women, African women, who are standing up around the world to a myriad of challenges, even with your lives in jeopardy where there are plots, there are plans by various agents to try to undermine the progress of a people who know who he be and who have strength and ability. They recognize it. They honor it. They honor Mother Earth by fighting for Mother Earth to have her healed so that those of us who are still on it can then heal ourselves and then heal one another. As is often said, especially in the nation of Islam, a nation can rise no higher 
then it's women. So in the United States, a lot of people are celebrating the fact that the vice president is now a multi-ethnic woman, right, that is there, that is standing, that has the opportunity to break the tie votes in the Senate that she just left out of to go to a higher standard. We appreciate you, Vice President Kamala Harris, for breaking that ceiling, breaking that glass ceiling. We appreciate you. We know it ain't easy. But now, one thing about it is with all that we choose to challenge, there's accountability. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction along the same line. So as we challenge things, there's a pushback. There's always somebody pushing back. You have to have the determination to keep going forward. No matter how hard they push back, you keep going forward. You invoke the spirit of Amelia Boynton Robinson. You invoke the spirit of Septima Poinsett Clark. You invoke the spirit of Mary Moutry. You invoke the spirit of Nzinga. You invoke the spirit of of Nani and all the other women freedom fighters had the power in their DNA as the daughters of Mother Africa to fight, stand up, choose to challenge any notion that you don't have the right to be the woman that God called you to be. Stand strong, stay strong, and let us stand together, united. Let us uplift one another. It was a blessing today. PAL is no longer on the air, but I get to listen to other folks when I'm driving, and today I was on that same route that I told you all about, driving to and from Charleston today. And I listened as I rode up. In the morning, I listened to the radio, and I heard the various shows. I was flipping between various radio programs to hear what was happening. It was refreshing to hear the women hosting the radio programs. It was intriguing to hear from one station to the next what was being discussed one station, they were talking about voting. They were talking about women's health. They were talking about what used to be called the black women's health crisis. And there was a group like that back in the 90s. And I pray that that group would return to really focus heavily on this issue. And on another station, they had folks who were entertainers on. And they gave encouraging words, and one of which one of the young ladies who's a hip-hop artist. One of the things that she said was, ladies, we got to work together. We got to stay together. We got to support one another, the fighting. So here it is, that an International Women's Day 2021, that is something that we can choose to challenge. We can choose to challenge having negative imagery of women pulling each other's hair out, boxing and fighting on television. 
that inspires the next generation to think that's how you ought to be acting, that it's okay because people are getting paid to do that junk on TV and in movies and whatnot. We should choose to challenge that. We should have more shows on that show the intellectualism of women, women sitting at the boardroom tables together, sitting under the tree together, strategizing together, women supporting each other's businesses, tweeting each other's businesses, helping to support one another to economically be empowered. Because a lot of women, they mamas. How you think them kids going to eat? How you think them bills going to get paid? Able to do. If you have somebody with you, that's great. Because that means you can get it done that much easier. But what if something would have happened? And if the last year hadn't taught us that at any second there's something that can happen, is that who you thought was going to be there for a few more years could be gone in an instant. If you haven't yet learned that lesson, you ain't going to learn it. But I'm just here to tell you that is the reality. So we need to think about when we do depart from this realm that we call life and we go into the realm of the afterlife, will anybody dedicate any program at any time, even a meme, to you and your absence from earth? Will they remember anything you did that challenged anything that was unrighteous? You see? That's the question for you to answer. And how will you live past today? What legacy will you leave behind? And will it inspire some other sister in the future on another International Women's Day? I pray that you find something that will. And if it's something that you say, well, I would die for this. But now that you know what that is, go on and live. Stand up. I'd rather die fighting for what I know is right than to attempt to think I'm living doing everything that's wrong. So I appreciate everybody who continues to support this broadcast all around the world. I appreciate you emailing me and letting me know that you're still tuning in. I get emails from even as far away as China from time to time about the show and what you've learned through it. I really appreciate it. And again, my email is G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. And we want to thank the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition for continuing to support this broadcast and all the members of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, especially the women. We salute you this Oman month and thing like that for show. And so if you are not a member of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, membership is open to anyone anywhere in the world. You can be a supporter and or a member, just go to gullahgeechee.net, gullahgeechee.net, G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E.net, gullahgeechee.net. And if you want to pay for membership, go to gullahgeechee.biz, gullahgeechee.biz, and you can always pay for membership there. You can also obtain books and CDs and DVDs and Gullah Geechee crafts and other things there, and that goes, those funds go right back into the work to help us, 
to challenge anyone trying to annihilate, assimilate, disrupt, destroy, or displace Gullah Geechee history, heritage, and culture. We choose to challenge that notion because we Vinya and we in the Gwainawe, tall, tall. So I thank y'all for thinking it not robbery to celebrate this day with me. It's been a beautiful, blessed day, and I give thanks to God for it and thank God for this mission and this journey on which I definitely choose to challenge folks that say, if you're from a rural sea island, Gullah Geechee like a me throwing them down like a this year, anything like that, that honey ain't going to be what honey is be, because God tells me who we be, and we be Gullah Geechee anointed people. This year the Queen Quet head on the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad for Hunter chilling, tuning in one more again to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. Ladies, continue to enjoy your month. Yes, celebrate all of we celebrate the ladies and who we be. Peace and blessings. Happy Women's Her Story Month and International Women's Day. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.